The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Should I call you guys uh, physician associates, assistant physicians, or physician assistants today? I don't know if we've even earned that those titles yet. I think we're well, still considered not students. Y- <laughs> not <laughs> even, but your, your profession. Maybe. I think they... But thank you for being pedantic about it. <laughs> they did. They, the name change is official. Is, is it, it official? I think it's in the process of getting the, a, the. Yeah, I think the AAPA is now the American Association of Physician Associates, mm-hmm. but it's not official when it comes to like everyday practice, like in the hospital or in the clinic. So you can maybe go. We with, should maybe we should start that. Yeah. <laughs> Either one's fine. I, I think. mean, yeah. assistant or, or just so. PA. Yeah, PA works. PA is good. To be clear, it doesn't much matter what you answer because I, I would have accidentally called you physician assistants no matter what. <laughs> I have literally fifty three years brain training to overcome, but yeah, and my brain's not flexible enough to handle that. <laughs> Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast. It's a show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, a bunch of PA1s. He's Arvada West High's breast and brightest all the way from Colorado. It's Noah Vasquez. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Is that not your high school? It is. I was a little shocked that you pulled that. I'm like, I haven't told anyone about that. So that was a little alarming, but <laughs> <laughs> it's all in my uh, little secret database of students. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> I have access to literally no other information about PAs other than your hometown and your high school for some reason. Why? Yeah. Why high Whoa. school? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it must have come from whatever your equivalent of AMCAS for, for applying to schools. Uh, Shout out A West, man. Ooh. Represent. Yeah. There you go. From Wellman, Iowa, it's Mid Prairie High School's own Golden Hawk, Olivia Quinby. Hello, happy to be here. Iowa's Indianola High School, where 98% of students graduate, never gave us a better human being. It's Emily Sarvis. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you so much. (laughs) And he's a Pulaski High School Raider through and through, drinking a great big glass of Wisconsin's official state state drink, Milk. I'm going to try that again. He's Pulaski High School Raider. He's I, pl- he, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to Pulaski High School. That's not what my database says. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> He's a Pulaski High School Red Raider through and through, drinking a great big glass of Wisconsin's official state drink, milk. It's Noah Herkert. Yeah, thank you for having me. I actually went to Verona High School. Mm-hmm. Verona Wildcats. I have no idea where. No, oh, you went to Pulaski. I can go to Pulaski. <laughs> yeah, I can go to Pulaski if we need us to. I was also Wildcats. That's kind of wild. We're all hey. in this together, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Willie wow. the Willie the Wildcat. I don't even think we had a name for ours. I could be wrong. It, it might have been Pulaski who had. It could have been Willie the Wildcat or whatever. <laughs> so is that skim milk or whole milk? What, what would you have? <laughs> oh, so skim. Yes, for okay. me. All right, just I grew sure. up. But I for grew Wisconsin. Up but for Wisconsin, whole milk. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, you might not even pasteurize it. Heavy, yeah. wow. depends where hardcore, depends heavy, where heavy cream. I think for yeah, yeah, <laughs> for Wisconsin. Well, welcome, welcome to the show, especially newbies. 
Before we start today, though, I want to tell you about an awesome opportunity to learn more about healthcare careers at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. On October 5th at 4 p.m., uh, we will be hosting a virtual, a free virtual conference where you can explore three of our top programs, the uh, Biomedical Science PhD program, the MD program, and the Physician Assistant program. So you'll get an inside look at each program directly from faculty, students, and admission staff. Uh, if you're exploring healthcare careers, uh, this is your chance to get all your questions answer and answered, and registration is totally free. Our registration closes on October 2nd. So, yeah, we have enough time. It's on October 2nd, so register now to reserve your spot. This way, you definitely don't want to miss. Go to theshortcoat.com slash to register and join us there. So that'll be, that'll be fun. You can learn a thing or two. Speaking of PAs, when this show comes out, it's PA week. Woo! A whole, big deal. A whole yeah. week. And to put that into perspective, I as a father get one day. It's true. Wow. That's bullshit right there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the week when all of healthcare joins hands in celebrating their 140,910 physician assistant colleagues, members of a profession that started in the 1960s and has since evolved into a cornerstone of modern medical teams. PAs bring a blend of expertise, flexi- flexibility, and holistic care that's hard to match. And today's episode is a shout out to all the PAs out there, which is why we have a bunch of them here today to talk about it. Right, Noah? Yep. Represent. Yeah. Pretty much what I thought we could kind of dive into is how all of us in this room ended up coming to this school. Like, how did we get here? What was that journey how like? Did, how did you so, so come to this school? And also, how did you select PA? Definitely. That's a bigger yeah. question. Yeah. 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 So I'll go first then, if that's that's yeah. cool. Um. So I started out really not sure what direction to go with in in life. I like science. I like thinking about things. I like problem solving. You came out of the womb not knowing where, what your direction <laughs> in life is. Yeah, be. crazy hard hard decision. Huh. I originally wanted to be an engineer, and then I saw my brother going through engineering school, and I saw him doing Calc four, and it said, "Nope, not for me. I don't want. I don't want that." I didn't um, even know that existed. Calc four. You don't want to know what they do with Calc four. It's like I don't know anything don't about calculus. About what I know about calculus is that for some reason when I was in college, my academic advisor insisted that I had to take calculus and gave it a shot and I did not do well. And it's also hard. it seems to me the hard way to do things that you already know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, you, you use it every day. Oh, all the time. <laughs> Integration. Don't give me talk about derivatives. Yeah. yeah. But I started, went to the doctor's office one point, didn't get my doc, got a PA instead. And we got talking and everything and I really liked that kind of patient interaction. So I was like, this is what we're doing. Did pre-med. How old were you at that point? No. 16, high, 17. High school. Yeah. Something like that. And they still had me take calculus. So you heard it here. You don't need calculus to be a PA. So if that changes any minds. You're not done with PA school yet. You that's don't know. A, like, that's a good point. That is a very good point. Curriculum changes. But it wasn't oh, a prereq to get here. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, thankfully. Just the first one. Not four, though. Yeah, yeah. thankfully. <laughs> thankfully. But did pre-med, all that kind of fun stuff. My big, big story, I think, was getting my service hours. I had the, had the idea of, with a couple of my friends, we were going to be uh, CNAs. And went through the whole school. We found this accelerated program in Phoenix, Arizona, that you did a whole PA certification in, I think, three weeks, a month, something like PA that. PA or CNA? CNA, sorry. CNA. Uh, did I say, say PA? This just yeah, you can be a PA in three <laughs> weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, no. A CNA, CNA certification. We were in class, I believe, eight to eight every day. And it was awful. And it was just, <laughs> it was so, it was just so much information so quickly. I, we got into clinical rotations, and I was like, 
this is hard. This is hard stuff. Got the certification, got out, and I started looking for jobs. And it was just like, yeah, this isn't this isn't my my speed. I'll look for something else. Ended up being a phlebotomist. And I got to tell you, being able to stab people for your job isn't all like the worst thing in the world. I have fantasized. <laughs> See, yeah, that's that's the nice thing. Now look, I don't think we can endorse that. No, no, we're not we're not endorsing that. It's, you're always nice to your patients, but it's just it it was a very cool job. Got to see a different side of medicine, and I'd highly recommend it to anyone. I got to be an outpatient side, inpatient side. I got to go to different floors, different hospitals, different locations. I've worked with all kinds of people because you see them for like five, maybe ten minutes at a time. So in a certain a day, you'd see 30, 40 people. Um, the most I've ever done one day was 80. And it's like you're, you're interacting with all these people again and again and again. So you learn how to talk to people. You learn what is good working with people, what isn't. And it was a really eye-opening experience. And that helped me kind of get here, I think, a little bit. Because I think we only have two other phlebotomists in our class. I think yeah. Will and someone else. So it kind of stands out, give you a different perspective. And cool. got me here, I think. Yeah. yeah. Plus phlebotomist which up until love that word i think up until about i was a phlebotomist for three years i think up until about six months ago or maybe a year ago my brother thought he's an engineer i, I need you guys to know this. he's an engineer Count four exactly <laughs> but apparently it doesn't help you spell because he thought phlebotomist started with an f yeah yeah and so he would call me an f whenever engineers i don't i don't know if engineers are the greatest spellers i mean english is just a complicated i can't spell either but <laughs> Something no. in lecture every single day just it absolutely boggles my mind oh. how it's spelled. Don't look at my notes. There's yeah. it's don't look at my <laughs> notes. That's all I say. I'm a big proponent of you like trade one skill for another. So uh, I think like to get as good at math as they do, they have to trade something. Sure. And that's what and spell, spell, spell checks spelling. for. Yeah. yeah. I would rather than be good at math. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Grammarly exists for a reason. Right. For sure. Grammarly is my best friend. Yes. yes. Right. So, get on yeah. that. We need to talk. You and me about Grammarly. Anyway, in a good way. I want to know more. What about you, Emily? Yeah. So my story is kind of long, but I started off college kind of knowing that I wanted to be in the science realm. Started out as a biochem major, did some research, found out that was not for me. Knew I kind of loved genetics, planned on being a double major and wanted to become a genetic counselor, have a huge respect for the fields, shadowed a cancer genetic counselor and realized, you know, there's a lot of sitting behind a desk looking at a lot of data and sometimes delivering some pretty, pretty hard news. Mm. And, you know, the world of medicine is kind of, you know, cohesive in that regard that we don't always get to deliver the best of news. Nice. But I kind of looked at that and I was like, I need to do things that are more hands on. And speaking of phlebotomists and blood and all that kind of stuff, I didn't want to go into hands on medicine because I thought I was afraid of blood. Mm. <laughs> so I realized I wanted to do it force myself to go into a blood drive and uh, get desensitized to bad call blood drives bad call call. ended up working out well okay all right yeah why did you think you were afraid of blood Uh, i would pass out after every blood draw of my own Uh you know getting any sort of vaccination anything like that like I would I would pass out at the clinic. It's just like, your own blood you had a problem with. Yeah, it was just my own. I figured that out, kind of moved on, had a freak out moment of I don't know what I want to do with my career and learned about a route and kind of went on from there. And I became a CNA for my patient care experiences and I was on the med surge unit helping patients before and after procedures and that can be 
a very stressful time for them and then was also on the primary COVID unit as we transitioned during mm-hmm. the pandemic mm-hmm. and gave me a huge, just a huge respect for the amount of interprofessional work that has to go into handling really, really tough times. And I kind of solidified in my head that the PA route was for me because I think, you know, while we've gained a lot of more autonomy through some recent legal changes, which I'm sure we'll get into, we were formed, this role was formed to kind of bridge the gap in provider shortages. So being able to advocate for our patients and to just build up our team better to give them the best care possible. So it kind of seemed like a no brainer at that point. Nice, so, man. Nice. Yeah. Noah? I didn't start out wanting to be PA. Mm-hmm. When I went into college, I had no idea what a PA was. I didn't even know that it was a healthcare career. I was pretty dead set on being an MD, being a doctor. So I went through four years of undergrad, did all the pre MD stuff. I actually took the MCAT, applied to med school two separate times, didn't get in, didn't get any interviews or anything like that during med school. I applied to seven PhD programs for neuroscience because that's what my undergrad was in. Didn't get into any of those. So I was kind of at a point where, kind of similar to what Emily was saying, I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my career. And then I had a friend who ended up going to PA school out in Colorado who was like, you should take a look at potentially doing the PA route. Started to learn a little bit more about the profession. Learned that I had a lot of work to do to get the prereqs for PA school because they're a lot different than med school. So I started, I did my patient care experience. I worked at the University Hospital in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. UW-Madison. I was an EKG technician. So I just did a lot of EKGs, heart monitor placements, stress testing, things like that. And while I was doing that, I was really fortunate, similar to how Noah was saying, I got to go around to every different unit because everyone needs EKGs, heart tests, things like that. So I worked with Adults, inpatient, outpatient, peds, inpatient, outpatient. We had a Department of Corrections unit, so I worked with the DOC patients as well. And kind of through all those interactions, I was more exposed to the PA profession. And I started to kind of see that they got to fulfill a lot of the things that I liked about being a doctor while also not having a lot of the things that I didn't like about being a doctor. So they got to be in that provider role. But they also got to be a little bit more present in their personal lives and they weren't the number one most counted on person. They could kind of defer and be a little bit more collaborative, in my opinion. So yeah. ended up taking all of the prereq courses over a summer, did my year and a half of clinical experiences and then applied to a bunch of different PA schools and ended up coming to Iowa. Here you are. Yeah. What about you, Olivia? My story starts when I was six years old. My dad was actually in a severe accident and became paralyzed from the waist down. And at a very young age, I saw his healthcare team work together very collaboratively to help him recover from his accident and work in rehab to gain up to 99% independence, which is very impressive for an individual to gain back that much independence after what he went through. And Throughout like middle school and high school, he was in and out of like long-term care for like skilled assistance. He kept having additional health issues happen. And when he was like chatting to me about it, I'm like, okay, like I see that there's a need for more healthcare provide like workers and providers. So 
all of his experiences leading up to that point, I'm like, I really think I need to go into medicine. I really want to change the more so negative things that he's talked to me about from his perspective. And the lack of providers really helped me think about like, how can I help close this gap? And so I learned about the PA profession a little bit earlier compared to others, just because of my dad's experience. And my high school, shout out to Mid Prairie in Wellman, Iowa, actually offered a CNA class through Kirkwood Community College here. And so I got my CNA my junior year of high school, started working in a long-term care facility in Kelowna, Iowa. So I started accumulating my hours very, very quickly. And I would work during like summer breaks, holiday breaks, as much as I could. And exploring different professions throughout undergrad. I thought about pre-med for a while, like doing the MD route. At one point I took a step back, like, do I even want to do pharmacy? Do I want to do like, like, do I need to change my major and do nursing? I kept thinking about it, but the collaborative part of the PA profession is what really kept me locked in. And it's what I'm most excited about when once we graduate and finally get that C instead of an S. Yes. After yes. PA, no more PAS, PAC, please. Never been so excited about getting a C. Yeah. Oh, hey, yes, bingo. 100%. <laughs> um, and so it's definitely very different for me compared to your guys' stories. But I think it goes to show that any time in your life, like that one exposure of like healthcare and medicine for me it was a little bit more of a traumatic event but I was able to take that event from my early life and kind of change into something positive and really see how I can make a difference in our community love that thank you that's huge tell me a little bit about what it took to get into PA school I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause a heavy question. I mean, cause the, you know, like I am more well-versed in what it takes to get into med school. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, there's, there's actually more to it. I think for, for PA. A, a lot. Yeah. The patient care experience is one of the big differences yeah. is yep. we, most PA programs across the country have required a number of hours that you have to have direct hands-on patient care. So that's not like working as like a unit coordinator or something. It's like you have to be either like a CNA yep. or a phlebotomist or like an EKG tech or someone who is going or like an ER tech, someone who's going to be actually doing hands-on care. And I think that's probably the biggest difference. I think you guys yeah. all agree between mm-hmm. MD a f- and a few like prereqs yeah, are a little different, yeah. but like that's pretty the big one. Microbiology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's oh. required for MD students, but that's a prereq. I think stats. I don't know if it's required. Depends. We also learned about anatomy being yeah. a yeah. requirement for PAs, but not necessarily a requirement for mm-hmm. MDs, which was kind of an interesting difference. But yeah. yeah. One thing was- to note, having, I, like I said, I applied to both MD mm-hmm. and PA. One of the things that is very different is the standardization of the MD admissions process. I was going to ask much, you about it's that. It's much yeah. more uniform. So most of the schools, it's still not perfect, but from my experience, most of the MD schools have a more solidified list mm-hmm. and it's shared between all the other, like shared between most of them. Whereas yeah. mm-hmm. so you can learn one. Yeah, learn exactly. One so you, you take the same like eight classes and you'll be able to apply to most the MD schools. Whereas every PA school, it seems is different and yep. every yeah. hour requirement yeah. is different. And like some schools will require, require you to have like 
three site classes. You have to take medical terminology. Some don't require anything. Yeah. Some yep. you need the GRE. Some you don't. Some you have to have either the GRE or PA cat. Some don't. Or like the Casper. Yeah, the Casper. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. a new that's requirement. That's good old Casper. Casper is the like is the test that like it's like are you cool enough to be in medicine it's like, it's like if, if, it's are like you a good person yeah, it's like, yeah. and then they give you a, a percentage test. or a quarter like a quarterly percentage at the end and they're like you are 55 to 75 percent a good person Ooh, I, like, like, I actually okay. did like, really bad on that yeah, test. I did too because I think it's compared to the entire people that take it yeah. like yeah. it's not a standardized score it's in relation yeah. to everyone else it's also, very it feels weird yeah, yeah. also we, we talked about this on a show years ago, so I don't know if it's changed, but my understanding was that that was not a validated tool at the time. So. Well, I think I'm a great person and I got the bottom percentile. I'd say you're a good so, person. I would yeah. agree. Yeah. I got you're a good mid person. percentile and I, I said, hmm, You okay. seem all right. <laughs> I, I firmly believe after taking it, I've taken it three times and I didn't do great the first time and then I studied in air quotes for it the uh -huh. second two times and I got the highest percentile. So you studied how to be a good person. Yeah. Can you so, walk us through that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, there's, there's basically a set list of like when you respond in my opinion, this mm -hmm. is my opinion, not the views of anyone else at the Carver College of Medicine, just Noah as a PA student. That Noah. Parker. His disclosure. That Noah, not this Noah. <laughs> Wisconsin Noah. Wisconsin right. Noah. That is my disclosure. I think that it's basically a test that you can study for and you can get the highest percentile if you know mm -hmm. what they're looking for out of their answers. And that's what's tricky about the whole application process. You kind of have to learn how to play a game a little bit. Yeah. Yes. And this is absolutely. true for all kinds of applications. Yep. This is yeah. not just true for, yeah, you're going to do yeah. this again when you look for jobs. You know, yep. you're going to play the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, okay. I applied to 16 schools. That's a lot. This. I was saying, wow. yeah. I applied it, to 13. I, I did. I applied the year before this kind of as a happenstance it's like we'll give it a go see what happens don't do that um, <laughs> spent a lot of money on it went nowhere um and so this year is like i'm getting into pa school so i did not have a summer it kind of lined up to where i had covid at the same time so it's not like i could do anything else but uh, yeah i was i think all in all with all fees involved with all extra classes taken with everything all said and done for the application process i think it was about three or four grand into it just mm -hmm. paying everything. It is not a cheap application. No, it is. But you don't have to apply to 16 schools. <laughs> it yeah, is not, no. You don't have to do that. But it is yeah. it is a commitment. And I did not recognize mm -hmm. that first go around. Make yeah. sure you know what schools you're applying to require what. Yes. yes. And which schools you want to get into. Don't do what I did and take five classes the summer before you're going to go to PA school and then end up going to the school that didn't require any of the five classes that you took. <laughs> so you pay five grand in tuition for nothing yeah <laughs> i feel like this is it would be easy yeah it would be easy to screw that up yeah i'm, yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna give you a pass no <laughs> thank you, you thank you yeah not <laughs> you get no passes um yeah what uh, so i applied to 10 different schools and i kind of played the game of okay maybe they're gonna try and select people more regionally so i did five midwest and then i said maybe i'll give the chance of maybe they don't want somebody for the region and they want to diversify the location of their students and so i applied to five all over the rest of the nation and really looked at their stats in terms of their class size, in terms of their scores, in terms of their hours. And that can you can really go down a rabbit hole with that. And I will say, like, 
those ranges and those things are they they mean they mean so little i i think truthfully once you mm-hmm. get into the interview process yeah because yeah. they basically see okay you met our standard requirement and you're kind of falling into the region that we want you to be at but i know at least for here and for a lot of the schools that i interviewed at they didn't even ask about the application they didn't ask about oh so you did these many hours in this spot and blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. but it's okay what did you gain from that how can you apply some of your some of the lessons that you've learned from this experience into a randomized a situation that they give you in an interview which can often be really interesting and quite unique on <laughs> on interview day so yeah do you have yeah. a story for us Noah, about that i i do <laughs> i do so for anyone that's listening that is pre-pa or pre-md or pre-anything where there's an interview just go into your interviews with an open mind be prepared i had an interview at a school which i won't name but i was in a group interview and it was me and four other applicants and our task was we were supposed to imagine the situation in which we were a board group for a burrito company and terrorists had infected the bean supply chain with radioactive beans not the beans not the beans (laughs) (laughs) and together we had 20 minutes as a group of five who had never met before to come up with a presentation to give to our shareholders, customers, and employees. And then we had to give that presentation to the panel who was judging us for our interview. So like she was saying, they sometimes they may ask you a question about your one experience, but a lot of times it's going to be stuff where they're, trying to get at something a little deeper than just what's on your application. They well, I guess see. it yeah. makes sense. You know, you're collaborate. You know, the whole thing of PAs is it's a collaborative environment to work in. 100%. And so I guess yep. that's what they're doing. I love that. I love this task. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would hate it if I was involved with it, um, but it's pretty good. It was my first PA school interview too. So I remember just, I was really stressed out and nervous mm-hmm. and, I remember hearing the prompt and kind of just it took the edge off a lot of being like, oh, they (laughs) just want to see us interact with human beings because that's what you're going to do on your job. Yeah. Yeah. Throw yourself on the pile of beans. (laughs) So it was a grenade. Final Final answer. (laughs) Hey, Shortcoats, it's me, Dave, your Shortcoat podcast host here. And you do not want to miss the event I'm about to share with you. If you're still exploring careers in healthcare, I'm gonna tell you about an awesome opportunity to learn more about the possibilities at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. On October 5th, 4 p.m., we'll be hosting a free virtual conference where you can explore three of our top programs, the Biomedical Science PhD program, the MD program, and the Physician Assistant program. You'll get an inside look at each program directly from faculty, students, and staff. Uh, This is your chance to get all your questions answered Obviously, registration is totally free. Registration closes on October 2nd, so register now to reserve your spot. Go ahead and hit the link, and we'll see you there. What do PAs do? Anyway, I mean, we, we, you know, we've talked a little bit about the collaborative aspect of it, but, you know, what's the difference between PAs and MDs? What did Tony say? Yeah. Well, we could we hear from, we have a clip from, hear our, from uh, Dr. Brenneman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Professor Brenneman, who is the 
the assistant director. He's program director. Program director of our PA program here. Let's hear from Professor Brenneman. These are clinicians that provide all care to patients, sometimes in specialties, sometimes in general medicine, depending on what route the PA does after they graduate. And they are really somebody that can help expand healthcare to all of our patients. They can do most of what a physician can do. What I like to say in general medicine is that we do about 90% of what the practicing physician does. And that 10% often needs to be referred on to a specialist in another area. So that's pretty much how that works, I think, out in the general clinical area. And in specialty, much the same. In their area of practice, once they have had a period of time under their license and practice, they get to that point where they are about 90% completely independent. So there you go. Practically speaking, what does that mean? 90%. I, they, they do everything. Yeah. Um, it's something that I love doing, and I'm glad we get to do a lot here, mm-hmm. is uh, interact with PAs that are practicing, um, really get you out and experience and, and seeing what PAs can do. And I think it comes into more of a question of what can't PAs do because they can do everything. You can see patients, diagnose, write scripts. And I don't think there's any limitations on medications anymore. I could be wrong, but I think PAs can write all medications that doctors yep. can. Um, they assist in surgery. They do pre-ops, post-ops, all anything in medicine, pretty much I think a, a PA can do short of like starting their own practice and kind of leading surgeries but some might. of this is dependent on which state your practice yes unlike um for mds the the definitions of what pas can do in in different states they're they're not uniform he had something else to say about that i think it's this one Yes, there's lots of change that has occurred because I've been in it for 26, 27 years. So there's been significant change and, and change clear back from when it was um, first created back in the 1960s. When I graduated, there were limits on what kinds of medications I could prescribe. That has changed. I can prescribe all medications now, except for Schedule One, and most people don't want to, to prescribe Schedule One medications. There was states that didn't have practice laws for PAs, and now all 50 states have practice laws. There's some variation from state to state, but they all have practice laws. Some are more generous than other states, and so we're working to continue that expansion of abilities to meet patients so that they don't have to travel hours and hours to get to see a clinician, really to expand those opportunities for healthcare in settings that may not always have that ability to do that. So we're really seeing that kind of expansion and those kinds of changes over time. Uh, So getting back to why PAs were created, what's the the history there? Because I think that sort of plays into what Dr. Brenneman was saying. To my knowledge, it was created to kind of help fill a gap after I can't remember which Vietnam or Vietnam mm-hmm. created a gap, fill a gap of a lack of physicians yeah. in the 60s and it was used as a way to give people who had military medical experience to then become practicing providers back home yeah that was my dad's story he was he was a medic in in the special forces Ooh, Paratro- wow. paratrooper wow and, okay Ooh. so when he uh, yeah when he got when he got done he was a uh, respiratory therapist and then I, one of a physician colleague was like you should you should look into this new thing. 
And so I think he was in the first class of PAs to graduate from Dartmouth, not from Duke, where it, I guess it started. It did, mm-hmm. yep. But from Dartmouth in New Hampshire. And then he was the, among the first, I think, the first PA in Massachusetts to, uh, yeah, to, to start a career in Massachusetts. So that's kind of cool. And, but that's, yeah, that's the, that's the that was the primary motivator, as far as I could tell, is is this shortage of physicians. Hmm. Still, still talking about that. <laughs> yep, yeah. So many years later, and I think that's why I was so drawn to that profession too, because of its intention to really oh, focus yeah. on closing those gaps in our healthcare system and serving as more of a generalist. Yeah, I think especially now, medicine is getting very, very specialized. Yeah. And where the gap for primary care especially is growing. And so PAs can serve as more of a generalist and a mid-level practitioner to help accommodate those issues. And so that 10% comes back to more of the specialized work that takes years and years in a fellowship to even accomplish. Yeah. So like surgery. And, yep. Yeah. And I can, I can speak a little bit on more on you know, the value of PAs and surgery because I interacted with them a lot on med surge. And I will say that it really ensures that the quality of their recovery is being analyzed thoroughly by this PA who, you know, is assisting the surgeon obviously in surgery, but is completing the majority of the rounds while the surgeon is able to really properly prepare. And also, you know, because of the pandemic and the stop of uh, elective surgeries and things like that, we saw a huge influx after those were allowed to come back. So we're having to accommodate that. And these PAs are helping to, and NPs are helping to kind of Make sure that we're still, you know, analyzing each person and still analyzing, okay, they recovered well or they're able to ambulate 24 hours after this, but maybe this didn't go well. Maybe this lab isn't working. Their neuro tests didn't come back quite as well. What can we do? And so that you have just more brains working to kind of solve these types of problems. And so it's not necessarily focusing on, okay, we're working for PAs to be more autonomous. We're just making sure that we're still ensuring the best quality of care and reaching more patients at the same time. Which is something just to comment on that, which is something I think that's cool about the PA program here is that we get to learn with doctors. Yeah. I mean, we're doing everything that the med students are doing, which I think really kind of not only starts that collaboration that we see in hospitals, but it also shows that PAs can do what doctors do. Yeah. I mean, we, we all learn together. We learn the same stuff. And it, I think it kind of levels the playing field. So when these provi- these future providers that we're in med school with end up going out into the field and they see someone that's a PA, they know that they're competent. They have faith in what they're doing. And because it started here, it started with them learning all of us together, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, let's let's yeah. underline that a little bit because, as you say, you guys learn together. And that's the first. So, so the MD program here has a preclinical component, which is 18 months. Yes. And you guys, at least for that first 18 months, are also doing the same exact classes, the same exact schedule. You're learning with them. You're integrated with them. It's a pretty unusual arrangement. I think it might be the only Yeah, we're the only one. That's what Um, brought me here. Yeah, most of the PA schools are sort of separate um, from, I mean, they're probably associated with medical schools, but Mm -hmm. their education components are separate, which I I think is uh, pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you get to 
interact with with providers or we're all future providers we're all going to be doing the same thing so it's cool kind of seeing the other side of the coin i have some friends in just pa schools and they're great schools they they were learning the same stuff but the method at which we are taught things with the medical students i feel like we hear a lot more of the whys like Mm -hmm. why does this disease state happen and we get lecture lectures from the embryologists that study that disease state or get lectures from a pathologist that looks at those those cells instead of having that like a professor who has to be a generalist across the board teach x y and z all these subjects yeah. we get the specialist that the med students would have also gotten we're incredibly fortunate to yes. have that. oh yeah very Absolutely. lucky to have that kind yeah of and i i think there's something to be said about you know just the difference between pa the profession of a PA has been around since the 60s, which means the schools that are certifying us have only been around since the 60s, whereas the Carver College of Medicine has been around for a long time. And so to go to PA school and then kind of like Noah was saying, have the resources of the Carver College of Medicine in addition to that, it kind of feels like you can't be set up for anything but success. Yeah. Like you oh, yeah. have everything at your disposal you have the tutor groups you have you know you have every advantage that the medical students have is also afforded to you it doesn't matter that you're a pa student or you're a med student you're a first year carver college of medicine student is is pa a uniquely american thing it's not actually uh so there are other countries in europe and other um areas that utilize a physician assistance but their ability to prescribe and their scope of practice is widely different i was mm. looking into this the other day yeah um so the the role and the kind of the span at which they can practice is, is widely different in other countries do you remember which countries offer <laughs> something analogous to the physician assistant so i i think it was primarily european countries that mm-hmm. i was looking into i think canada also mm-hmm. has a few options in terms of programs at least but again just like any other region or like state to state kind of thing we're looking at a lot of discrepancy in terms of our ability to do certain aspects so what so i was looking up the u.s bureau of labor statistics facts about um the profession um and the the pa profession is growing it looks like i mean they, they yes. predict a 27 percent growth yeah. in pa jobs from 2022 to 2032 much faster than average for for all occupations i guess that's a reflection of you know, America, the, the United States of America and its aging population, a lack of access, as you've been talking about in, in rural areas and sort of a recognition that, you know, this is a valuable tool in getting people the medical care that they that they need. I think it speaks to our, our the flexibility a PA has, because, yeah. I mean, yes. we can we, we can do everything or pretty much every 90 percent of everything a a doctor can do but i mean if you have more people getting out of school faster then you get more people entering the workforce get more growth so then we can go to those rural places we can do those things oh i started to say when we were talking about the 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 pa education versus the md education it's a Mm -hmm. pa is here anyways at Two and a half, two and and a half, half year program. Half, yeah. so 28 months now. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you go through that 18 months of preclinical with the MD students, and then you guys kind of break off and do 10 months. clinical, 10 months of clinical yeah. yep. rotations. Yep. And and are there specified rotations that you need to do? Yeah. So 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's we have to do internal medicine, emergency medicine, psych, OBGYN, surgery, and pediatrics. And I, I thought there was think family There's med like too. family, family med. medicine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. They, or like another like primary care focus. Yep. And then we get to choose two specialties or like two rotations of our own. So if you really liked your internal medicine rotation you could go back and do that again or if you didn't get to see a subspecialty that you want to go to you could you know try and do that for but again pretty general focus yeah mm-hmm. yeah um generalist focus yeah, yeah. so what would you guys pick for your rotations what's what's on the list the for extra two yeah oh yeah Ooh. Ooh. i i really 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 enjoyed watching pediatric surgery general surgery specifically and just seeing the variety of procedures that were done this was in kenya so it will look very different (laughs) in the united states and it you know most people are like oh my gosh we're operating on kids that's so scary but just knowing how a surgery and oftentimes like when they are done and then you know, in the U.S., we're able to catch things a lot faster and have a lot more resources in that regards can impact somebody for the rest of their life yeah. is just absolutely mind boggling to me. And the detail in in the surgery as well. Not that, you know, adult surgeries aren't detailed, but, you know, you're working on a significantly smaller <laughs> person. And so you're just it, it's beautiful. Surgery is it, it's got a beauty to it. So, yeah. Similar lines, I guess. I really enjoyed uh, my last year at my job. I was specifically in the pediatric cardiology department. So I think either adult or pediatric electrophysiology, which is like a subspecialty within. That's pretty. So, so wow. interesting. Whoa, interesting. say that one again. <laughs> but, but what's interesting is like your the profession is focused on, you know, sort of a generalist education. Yeah. But you can specialize. Yeah. And, and you can even subspecialize. Well, yeah. that's one of the really enticing things about the profession so for me for example i love the fact that i could start in something as specialized as pediatric electrophysiology Mm. and then i can back off to pediatric cardiology if i want to and then i can back off to general pediatrics because as pas we're allowed to switch the field that we work in without 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 jumping through through. the additional hoops that an md would like having to go back through yeah residency and going back through the even the match yeah um And so part of that, I think, is um, another thing I really like is I feel like you guys may agree, too, is that I feel like as PAs, we allow doctors to do their job better and they allow us to do our job better. Specifically in the situation of when Emily was talking about how you have a PA that is going to be involved in a lot of like post-op, pre-op care for surgery. By our profession doing that, you're then allowing the surgeon to focus a little bit more intensely on the surgeries that they are doing. Yeah, this is why this is one reason I I get a little riled up about the whole debate about mid-level creep. Um, My position is that that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, I think, because, again, like you said, doctors aren't getting any less busy. They're Mm -hmm. getting more Mm -hmm. busy. And you guys are uniquely positioned to do the things that doctors don't are not able to to do, just aren't able to fit in the time to do. Like, yeah, I think that's a that's a beneficial thing. Yeah. Yeah. What you got, Olivia? Rotations. Uh, 
I want to do an ortho rotation. Um, ortho bro. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. My tiny but mighty. I was going to say, like, it's time to, it's time to, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you're, if you're, uh, if you're buff or not, I'm not going to say on the, the armor, but you know, buff. it's time to, it's time to get real swole. Yeah. So I've already mentioned on the previous episode I was on, I want to do like family medicine and be focused on like primary care. And a lot of family med clinics nowadays and even urgent care have x-rays and imaging Mm -hmm. that you can use. And so I feel like if I'm in that setting, I want to have a really strong ortho background to kind of supplement the care that I'm giving to patients. So that's why I want to do ortho. I also want to do cardiology as well, possibly just again, cardiology is the foundation to a lot of pathophysiology. And I want to make sure I have a good hands-on experience during clinicals to make sure I know everything as best as possible before I start practicing. I've heard a few people look at that where this is a a learning opportunity to set yourself up for success later on. Get extra practice with this, get extra practice with that. That's pretty cool. What about you, Noah? Uh, I really don't know where I'm going, so I kind of like checking out a bunch of stuff. So the main goal for me is I'm a big fan of kind of like the rural side of medicine, really kind of making use of what you have, jack of all trades, master of none, stuff like that. And I've heard rumors that there is an international rotation. And They're coming I, back. I, I hope so. I don't care where it's going. Rumors. I don't care how to get there. <laughs> rumors. They're strong rumors. But I've heard some people go to Belize. I've heard India. And I feel like that would be an experience where not only are you, maybe you don't have all the, the toys and gizmos we have here in the States, let alone at a university hospital, but you are in a small village, you were, you were helping people. Like you were seeing that instant gratification and you were, you were get to look someone in the eye and say, I can help you help them and then see how it affects their life. You, you kind of get, get creative. It's not a bad thing, but I, I like that kind of creative problem solving, the solutions, and just really getting to know people on that level. I, I hopefully it happens. <laughs> we'll see if it yeah. does, but that'd be pretty cool. We got like a year and a half, two years yeah. almost. Yeah. Until, oh, yeah. So we start talking about it in December, actually. So oh, no. that's <laughs> terrifying. What I said. That's terrifying. <laughs> this happens pretty fast. Yeah, my it sure does. <laughs> Going back to what you just said, I think it's really awesome that you want to do that too, because it would give you an exposure to a different culture. Yep. Yeah. With yep. Different points of views and different like values within medicine itself, and I think that would also set you up very well for later in life if you ever encounter patients that come from different backgrounds that Definitely. you can apply your knowledge from that experience it, it it'd be i know it'd be difficult you'd be see you'd be seeing a completely different side of the world different side it wouldn't be like happy traveling him to go to italy for a week and mm-hmm. kind of tourist that that's not what it would be like you're in the sticks you're doing the stuff mm-hmm. but I, I do think it would upon completing that if it happens coming back to a university or a hospital or just a clinic with resources will not only I mean, like have me value that more, but know how to help people who may not have all of those toys. Well, yeah. also, I mean, if you're if your focus is on rural medicine, you have less resources. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Um, I am um, where I was a, a phlebotomist most recently was at a big university hospital like here back in Colorado. And I think the furthest person that they drove, the furthest person I drew from, I think, was South Dakota. I mean, they drove from this tiny town between South Dakota and Wyoming, I think. And. I think they said it was nine, 10 hours. Yeah. Drove to Colorado to receive treatment and they were there for a week, every day, 10 hours getting testing. And it's, yeah, this is why 
we need more mid-level providers, more, yeah. more PAs, yeah. more MPs. Oh, yeah. Like this is this is the reason people should not have to drive. It was insane where people would come from. I I draw. I I'd communicate with people. They were um. We had a lot of transplant patients, mm-hmm. and they would come from. I don't know how many people listeners. I don't know if you guys have been to like mountainous Colorado, but you can go. I don't know, an hour or two without seeing any civilization. There are towns in, I'm sure like this, this is like this in Iowa. There are towns in Colorado where you can hold your breath driving through them and you yeah. have, you have minutes to spare as you're holding your breath. I can and, verify that. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I draw people where every day they drive three or four hours, come to clinic, get a, get a blood draw, get a test done and then leave and then be back the next day and the next day. Cause once that organs there, you're in surgery a couple hours later, like they, mm-hmm. they need you there. Mm-hmm. So they were just waiting and, I mean, you can't always do transplants in the middle of, I mean, the mountains, but I think getting access or better access to providers and healthcare to people who it's, they want to live where they want to live, but getting access there could probably help some of, some of those people because they've, yeah. it's a long drive. It's <laughs> some long yeah. drives that people are coming from. I remember our similar story, our transplant unit on at UW Health was there was a patient who I think like took a puddle jumper overnight because he got the call from and he was yep. in like western or eastern michigan and he took like an overnight flight from like his friends who <laughs> owned a plane and was a pilot and like but it's yeah like getting the resources and we access all have that, so that oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want you know your, your friend who's got the puddle jumper that can just take you yeah but yeah. so common that'd be the end goal though well then the other rotation i figure it's an, it's an experience. Just see where they put me. I mean, oh, yeah. You can learn something from everywhere. So Growth no doesn't idea. happen in the comfort zone. No, it no. does not. No, it does not. As we're learning right now, yes. yeah. 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 it's far away Painfully from the aware. comfort zone right now. <laughs> it's survivable. You can get through it, but yes. it's, yeah. it's a beast. No, there's, you know, before coming into PA school, working as a, a CNA for three years and um, kind of, you know, seeing the patterns that I'm sure we all experienced as an EKG technician, as a phlebotomist, you know, in our various roles that many of the other students have had as well. We really, I think, started to kind of, at least for me, I had this just drive, like, I want to learn. I want to learn more. And you like, I just, I need more to, to keep my brain going. Yeah. And so the, the greatest part about PA school and the most challenging aspect is it's fulfilling that that want and that need yeah. to to learn and something that medicine will provide us for the rest of our careers. <laughs> we're never um, done. No. Yeah, we're, we're, we're never done. Um, but like it's it's finally satisfying this this curiosity that mm-hmm. that we all have, which mm-hmm. is really really cool. At times, it does though feel like. Have you ever seen those videos like a python trying to eat an antelope or something mm-hmm. like that? It, it's that <laughs> like you're just trying to get it down, but there's there's always a little bit more. There's always a little bit more. You end up getting it down, but it's just mm-hmm. like wow. Don't want to do that again. I really hope that trends more than the fire hose analogy. That was a good start. I was going to say, I'll, I'll use that this afternoon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or the pancake analogy. Pancake. Oh, pancakes. Yeah. That's yeah. probably better. Yeah. That's probably better. Instead of a python and an antelope. But I, I'd have pancakes again. I wouldn't want an antelope again. No. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. When you get out of PA school, what do you anticipate your debt load will be? 
that. Ooh. Oh, money. So I went to a private <laughs> undergrad. I went to Luther College. So it was very expensive nice to school, go there. Huh? It's a great school. Yeah. I miss Decorah. It's a lovely yeah, area. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. town. So private undergrad school plus. Let's let's skip private undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Final. And I didn't take a gap year. So I am still accumulating my debt right now. I didn't mm-hmm. take any time off to work on paying that back. So let's see. I'm calculating internally right now. I think I'll be under 200 grand. Okay. Okay. I I think I'll be I was a very fortunate undergrad. For some reason, in state schools in Colorado, they don't give out any scholarships, but okay. schools out of state did and they gave me mm. a pretty nice one. So I was able to go through undergrad with very minimal loans, which was nice. But coming to here, this is my first interaction with loans, and they're terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's I'm not not a fan, but I'll probably be sitting I don't know, 150. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, I, um, kind of similar story to Noah. My first university I attended um, in college was out of state, private, very expensive, but they did give good scholarships. I played a sport, um, so I was able to get a good scholarship there. I transferred back to in-state school, which was much, much, much cheaper. So I was very lucky, thanks to help, help from some family and a little bit of myself working, I made it out of undergrad debt-free. And then right now, I'm still very lucky to have some super supportive grandparents and parents, as well as an amazing wife who has taken on the burden of supporting me throughout the PA school journey. So my wife um, also has, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I don't anticipate she'll stop supporting me. But I, I think with combination from, I was, I, didn't do anything during my two gap years other than work, work, work. So with combination of the money I saved up and hopefully um, some other stuff, I think I'll be out of here with like 20 to 30. Nice. Respect. Hopefully. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I started working at the state fair at 16 and then worked at the movie theater and saved money since then and was fortunate to have had good job opportunities throughout college and got a lot of great scholarships for being in state at Iowa State. Go Cyclones. Very Wow. <laughs> I know. I know. I put it's it all, on the podcast. It's, it's all right. No, I'll, I'll, bleep that, I'll bleep that out. Yeah. <laughs> I put it on there. And so I thankfully got out of undergrad without any loans. And I this first year, I'm kind of using some of the money that I saved since high school throughout college and throughout my gap year working as a bartender you know saving those tips (laughs) up so i i will probably be sitting at close to 60 60 grand nice so so let's see the average student debt for pas is one hundred and twelve thousand five hundred. And according to the lanterncredit.com, is PA school worth it in 2023? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how much are our interests right now for loans? Eight. Eight, eight yeah, percent? Yeah. Eight percent. Like it's not a good them, year. It's like one of them is seven and a half. Or like Which one, one of them is like 7.05. Yeah, it's like the 
one that you have a limit on is like 7.05 and then the one you don't have a limit on is 8.05. Mm-hmm. But the good news is uh, median pay for, for physician assistance in May of 2022 was $126,000. That's a nice number. Yeah, so, it is. You know, <laughs> and you know, it, uh, that's going to vary pretty widely depend yeah. On, yeah. depending Absolutely. on where you mm-hmm. end up practicing and what kind of patient population, what kind of work setting, all that kind of stuff. Definitely. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I'd say it's worth it. It's not bad. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, I'd say it's worth, worth it. it. Yeah. How much yeah. is med school? Oh, let's, let's go to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I know. I had a friend who, when I was at my ECG tech job, he was applying to med school at the same time I was applying to PA school. And he was a very organized type person. So he had a spreadsheet with every med school he applied to. He applied to 52. He's insane. Oof. And he had, <laughs> and he had every school's debt calculated out to when he would finish residency. Wow. With his loans and everything, and most of it was six hundred thousand to like nine hundred thousand dollars of debt for what? when he would finish his residency. That's another That's, big barrier too of providers. You yeah, know, is sure. like it. You have to be at a certain level economically to even like get into undergrad. Sometimes yeah. scholarships. Well, you know, is... there's there's limited amounts, and it, like it's a privilege just to have even being a potential part of this process this is one of the reasons why like uh, this is one of the reasons why md students are so anxious i mean you like (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. you know like if you look at your md colleagues and you're like why are they so uptight and this is the reason because you know every you know if you i I think the perception is if you make a mistake (gasps) you make a mistake you're still going to be let's see so 250,995 on average for medical school to, uh, for for total student loan debt for but, md students yeah but just with with pa school versus medical school i think that's a big barrier is the price tag Cost. yeah because yeah. yeah. i mean just applications alone it was in like three i think it's three or four thousand i mean that's insane mm-hmm. and it's like so if you have someone who might not have the the most kind of backing from family and friends mm-hmm. if you have someone that has to do all of that themselves I mean, all these things feel so far out of reach. I, I paid I paid for all those applications myself, and I'll tell you that that was a hit. Yeah, that yeah. was a lot. Yeah, and so it's it's a big big thing. I think that was that was good with PAs. It worked out for me well. It's like okay, this is something I want to do. This is something I can do, and this is something I can afford, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah. I think a, an important thing for anyone that's listening that is pre PA or pre MD is to reframe the way that you think about debt. I know we just threw around like a bunch of scary numbers and it seems like a lot. Yeah. You have to think about it as an investment in yourself. Yeah. Like not not a single one of us here, I think would trade for the world. You could give me more debt and I would still do this. It's investing in yourself to make yourself better and to like become the person and provider that you want to be. And so that's another big thing about choosing your PA school is I was accepted to another PA school other than Iowa when I got into Iowa and the reason I ended up choosing Iowa a large majority was proximity to home but also the fact that this school was $70,000 less than the school that I was going to go to Mm -hmm. and so recognizing that debt is going to be something that happens but it's something that you're choosing to do to better yourself I, I may be wrong about this PA schools are mostly private Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot true? of them, yeah. A lot. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So private schools are usually more expensive. 
Yeah, yeah. I was incredibly lucky to get into not only my dream school, but to have like been a resident in the same state sure. as well. Yeah. So oh, yeah, I'm missing out on that, man. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. We okay. have hills. Are they hills? I mean, Council Bluffs. Mount, it's a corn field, bluffy up there. Right? Mounds. Midwest hills. Yeah, yeah no. Bumps. I'll, I'll tell you, there's two things I'm still getting used to after moving here. One, there's not a giant rock face just in one direction I can stare at. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm so directionally challenged already, <laughs> and you take away the mounds, I have no idea what's there going on. There are a few, yeah. And I, I have... You, you start to learn to navigate by water towers. Oh, that's... Uh, that's yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm doing that. Um, but the other is the humidity, man. Holy cow. I, I have had the chance to live in Australia for a few months. I've been to Belize. I've been to Indonesia. And I'll tell you, I have sweat more here than any of those places. And I, in Australia, I was in the jungle and it's still here. I don't understand it and I don't think I ever will, but it's been a change. Let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> it's unique. <laughs> I guess I, I just like to ask, how has PA school been for you guys? Mm-hmm. For, for people, for people listening, thinking about joining this crew, joining this, this calling. What are we about a month in? Yeah, it started August. August fourteenth was the first day of classes. Feels like it's been six years. Yeah, yeah, I've aged. Um, I found a gray hair the other day. (laughs) You know what that's from? I did too. (laughs) Yeah, fortunately. (laughs) Yeah. How has PA school been? I don't know. I think I was a little bit anxious coming into it, just because everyone, all you hear about is how hard it is, and Oh my gosh, the drinking from the fire hose analogy, eating a pancake, eating pancakes or an antelope, whatever you prefer. But I think you get a little bit scared and nervous coming into it thinking that, oh my, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? It's going to be unbearable. I'm not going to have any time for anything else. And so far, I have found that specific narrative to not be as true as people were saying, but that's my personal experience. I definitely, it's overwhelming for sure. There's days when you go into lecture and it's your sixth one of the day and you just have to turn your brain off. And I have to say, I'm just going to have to look at that later because I've hit my quota for the day. I'm capped out. I can't, but it's definitely manageable. You do have to be smart with your time. You obviously can't like not study for, you know, a week and then try and cram everything into like the three nights before the exams but i tried that <laughs> <laughs> um i think if you can stay disciplined and stay on top of your stuff um i think it also a huge part of it depends on like where you did your undergrad what your background is because our first six weeks has been pretty heavy on like background biology biochemistry foundation anatomy anatomy yeah. and so foundations like if, of cellular life it's yeah all so like biochemistry and, and yeah and and cell bio cell bio so if you haven't done that before or struggled with that in the past um it might be a little bit more challenging but it's definitely doable we have people in our class that haven't been in school for like the last six seven years it's their first time back in the classroom and they're doing well so um yeah what about you emily You know, it was a rocky start, I will say. I had been out of school for a year and a half and, you know, kind of, you know, I've lived in Iowa most of my life, so it didn't feel like a complete change of environment, but I had some issues with moving and just a lot of things kind of happening all at once at the beginning of school. And, you know, I think the drinking out of a fire hose analogy for me (laughs) was a bit spot on a little bit but the the fire hose it it dissipated a little bit in the last few weeks and i think it's just kind of reframing 
your your mindset and frankly your brain just starts to work a little bit differently too to kind of categorize things and to just be more efficient and that's something you know like i said i was a bartender so i didn't really have to actively think about cell junctions as i'm (laughs) you know pouring or giving somebody some french fries so it's just it's kind of reawakening those those neuro pathways (laughs) to work again and i cannot stress this enough and my classmates and the faculty have been so supportive through that like kind of bump in the road that I had at the beginning. And yeah, we really play off of each other's strengths and we, we are making it through together as a team, not as individual students. Yeah. You got 24 other people who are plus outside of the PA program, Mm -hmm. 150 med students, I think. So you have a bunch of people who are going through the same thing as you. And so I feel like we do a pretty good job as a class of leaning on each other when we need each other. And you guys help, seem pretty tight. Helping people. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, like I said, can't, and you know, something that the faculty said during orientation and I was like, yeah, they, they, they say that, but you know, like when p- teachers say, oh, you can reach out, they're like, please don't, I'm busy. The thing is, is that like they, they truly, truly, truly want you to succeed. And they say, you know, the hardest thing that you had to do was get here. And, you know, it is part of in part your job to, of course, manage your own success as you get through the program. But the faculty is so dedicated in trying to help you strategize to move forward in whatever capacity that looks like for you. So, yeah, Olivia. So I did not take a gap year. I graduated undergrad in May. And before I graduated, my academic advisor sat me down and she's like, listen, this is going to be hard for you in the fall. During the summer, take time for yourself. Absolutely. Make sure Mm -hmm. you're in a really good mental and emotional space. Like work on that as much as you can during the summer and make sure that you feel refreshed, but also prepared to start. And I'm so happy I took their advice because I, I feel like I stepped into the program and really focused on learning rather than getting like above a 90% on an exam. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think mm-hmm. developing that mindset for me has really helped me, one, appreciate how much I'm learning and why it's so important to learn and be also make sure I'm taking time for myself and realize I'm going to keep learning and I'm not going to know everything perfectly and that's okay. So it's what did really, you do during the summer? Did you just lie on the couch? What did you? No. That's what I do <laughs> I, <laughs> to prepare myself mentally for anything. I worked until the end of June mm-hmm. and then all of July, I read a lot, mm-hmm. just nonfiction and also what's it called? There's a book I read about like mindset. Oh, Atomic Habits. Definitely recommend Atomic Habits. Oh, Atomic Habits. Yeah, Atomic okay. Habits. I thought that was the name of an author. <laughs> atomic Habits. You know Atomic Habits. I thought it sounded like like a vegetable of some sort. I, don't know. Like, <laughs> I was trying to figure that one out. Yeah. So I did a lot of mental mindset focused stuff. I walked every day. I worked out every day. Learned how to cook or learned that I need a food subscription to come to me once a week <laughs> so I can make food. Fair, fair, fair. But really worked on making sure from like all perspectives of my life, like my relationships with my family and with my significant other were in good shape. Definitely had a conversation with them about like, this is how much work I'm going to be going through. And when I'm stressed, this is what I need from you. 
and also like so just had those conversations with my loved ones as well to really make sure everyone knew what was going on and I had as much confidence in myself that I can get this done it's going to be hard but I just have to persevere to get through it that I love that I love that we get we get questions from listeners uh, sometimes and by the way if you have a question you can send it to the shortcodes at gmail.com you can call us three three four seven short CT we'll answer your questions one question that we get fairly regularly is what should I do in the summer before my M1 year to prepare? And my answer is always don't study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Biggest advice. Yeah. Don't study. You're going to be doing enough of that. They already think you're prepared. That's why you're in medical school. That's why you're in PA school. You know, just chill. But I like your, I, I like what you did yeah. because it sounds very intentional. Like you yeah. had, and I, and the advice that you got from your, from your advisor is, is very terrific. Very mm-hmm. smart. Figure out what makes you feel like a person. Yeah. And, yeah. and keep a doing that person thing. And because value that too. There's going to be times in school where school can make you feel like you're not a person yeah. and you're it's, just a thing that takes in this information and then spits it back out for an exam so figuring out what makes you feel happy and makes you feel like a person and keeping that up when you're in school is like a nice reminder mm-hmm. of it's like the cup analogy you know you can't pour from from an empty cup yeah you can't do well in pa school if your cup is empty to yeah. begin with or during it you have to for make sure. sure that you're refilling that cup as much as possible community is huge again for that and they they push you to say you know what i think you've studied enough today let's go (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. well i don't really know what to add to that i mean that was pretty comprehensive but i it's hard like i'm not gonna sugarcoat (laughs) it this is hard and it's a lot and look you know like the the there's a huge variation in what hard means for each yeah. individual. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, I took three years off after graduating from like undergrad and stuff. So I was in the same boat. My brain has not functioned at this degree in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So coming in, it it hurts some days. It hurt, but it's doable. It's it's not impossible. It's not par- at times it's paralyzing. But I think the, the hardest part was just getting to this. Yeah. I mean, the application process in itself is difficult. But that's where they test if you want it. Mm-hmm. That's where mm-hmm. they see, all right, who's who's going to, for lack of a better phrase, nut up or shut up? Like, are you going to do this? You're going to get here or not? <laughs> <laughs> Zombie land quote. Yeah. But that that's where you earn it. Once you're here, like you said, they have faith in you. Mm-hmm. They, they know you can do it. And it's just, it's just being able to get up in the morning, put your shoes on and get here and get to work. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's difficult some days. These are some days, harder some other days. Mm-hmm. But I mean... Our, our class, I mean, we're all really tight. Community is awesome. Yeah, it is. It is wonderful. Our faculty and staff are always so supportive and helpful. You need anything, all mm-hmm. the doors are always open. Yeah. There is a shout out to Audra. She does have food to give yes. out to us, which is just oh, the highlight of my day. Yeah. Those really long lectures. Yeah. Oh yeah. Audra, <laughs> Audra and I work together in the student affairs and curriculum office. Yeah. She's the yes. absolute best. We work hard. Audra works harder. Yes. Yes, she does. <laughs> yes. But it, it's 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 something you sign up for. We, at the end of the day, we did ask for this. And mm-hmm. I, I got to say, that after those hard days, like 12, 13 hour days, studying class, all that kind of stuff, when I go to sleep, 
I, I look back and like I, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Like th- this is this is what I enjoy. This is yeah, it hurts. I was a goalie for a large portion of my life, so I'm, I'm fine getting beat up, hit with things. But it, it at the end of the day, you still get back up. You still get yeah. ready for the next day because it's gonna keep coming, and you can't yeah. you can't stop it. Mm-mm. But yeah, well uh, that's our show. Noah and 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 Olivia, thanks for bringing the idea to me in the first place for hey, hey. for yeah, the PA course. Week yeah. episode. Noah, thanks for uh, helping to put together the show. For sure. Uh, I hope. It, did you help to put together? I didn't. I don't want to. Make she, it. She's the idea. She, she, she was her idea. idea. I just yeah. want to give credit where credit's due. I've been thinking of Noah as the producer since he's been coming to me with oh. so. So thanks for producing the show. Whoever did it, and Emily and other Noah. Thank you for. I'm, I'm the original. The original. That's fine. You're only the you, first one I reference. You've gotten all of the friendly Noah nicknames. I've, I've been hit with some self-labeled. Married Noah, tall Noah, you know, the various options. Mm-hmm. Thanks yeah. for being on the show with us. Yeah, today. thank you for having it's us. It's been really fun. It's been yeah. very fun. Um, and what kind of low-level provider would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, Follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.